Broadcasting live from Boseju, who shelters all on the plain of Kamigawa, this is Tap Tap Concede. Welcome everybody to Tap Tap Concede. My name is Graham. Joining me is Cameron. Hi. And Nelson. Hi, I'm also here. And today we're going to be talking about a couple different things. We've got the Arena Open that is currently happening as we record. We've got a little bit of popper news and some previews, though not of cards, but of art at least, and some other information from uh, <laughs> from Neon Genesis Kamigawa. I've, <laughs> it's going to be hard not to do that uh, from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty uh, and just hanging out and having a chat. And that chat is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Check out cardkingdom.com slash LRR. Putting that little LRR on there is a big help because it lets them know that we're sending you over there and we're doing that because we think card kingdom is great and they've got good prices and great customer service and fast shipping and you can get your cards anywhere in the world so that's fun also if you ask for a button if you say loading ready run sent me button please i'll give you a little button which currently is a reprint of an old favorite you're brainstorming wrong because no one has ever brainstormed correctly in the history of magic. Also, this show and everything we do is brought to you by you and your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loading ready run. And we are ever grateful. So let's start with the arena open because it's actively happening <laughs> right now. Uh, not that Nelson's playing in it right now, but you did make day two, didn't you? I'm not playing in it right now while we record this podcast. Or are you? <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Actually, what's happening right now at time of filming, Nelson is trying to decide on his deck list. Uh, I played Boros Dragons, like with no sideboard yesterday in the best of one, and had a pretty exciting 1-2 start uh, into the 6-0 to make day two. So now I think I still want to cast Townraiser Tyrants and Goldspan Dragons, because that still feels pretty good. I'm trying to decide whether I still want to have a bunch of Orb of Dragonkinds and Fearsome Whelps, what are they called? Sorry, the furnace whelp. No, fear, fearsome whelp. So, if if I if I may, I'll dive into which sort of alchemy twenty twenty two extra cards from the alchemy set of kind of yeah. Most, let's most do that because this is to to be clear. You know, the arena opens. Uh, they started, I think, standard for a couple of them, and then the last several have been limited. So. Sealed. There was a historic one in there. There was a historic yeah. one in there too, but, but they weren't ready to do limited ones right off the hop. So they really wanted yeah. to make sure that they mm. sold that once they had it. But this one's alchemy, so it's all the it's the rebalanced cards, it's the digital only cards, it's it's the absolute just madhouse of arena magic. And so you're running, sorry, Boros Dragons. Yeah, well, I was on Boros Dragons yesterday. I still want to be on Dragons. You can play Dragons with like either just as mono red or with any of the other colors or a combination if you want. Mm. Um, Eduardo Sajgalic posted his list that he uh, he took, he also made D2 at playing best of one, and he was playing white for a Valorous Stance and some adult gold span dragons. Mm. Adult adult gold dragons. Adult, uh, yeah. so that's so confusing. Yeah, there's two <laughs> five mana dragons in standard in alchemy right now. They both have gold in the name, they both have haste and attack for four. Anyways, the white one is Adult Gold Dragon. Mm -hmm. um, and then Eduardo was also playing uh, the Learn, the like popular blue uh, bounce slash counterspell card, um, Divide by Zero. Mm -hmm. So right. this this card's pretty good in best of one because it gets you you know a learn board that you wouldn't otherwise be using in in the dragons deck. There's no uh, you can play Igneous Inspiration if you want to, but it doesn't really cleanly fit into the plan for the dragons deck. Um, so if you want to be black, you can play 
Kalane or uh, Immersturm Predator. Um, mm-hmm. And these give, these give you more consistency in the tempo version where you're playing the Fearsome Dragons or, or Fearsome Whelps alongside Orb of Dragon Cod. So your play pattern of like turn two, I have some something that ramps me into turn three, powerful four mana dragon. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the decision I'm trying to make right now. And also this is one of the most popular decks. So uh, if you didn't re- recall, if you're not playing Alchemy much yourself, it's basically standard, like it's standard plus. Right. Um, so, you, you know, all... All or most of the decks that you see in Alchemy will have some kind of corollary, probably, in okay. Standard. Yeah. Um, besides Dragons, there's some other good decks that are using Alchemy cards that are popular. Rahilda, Wanted Cutthroat, uh, is seeing some play in sort of red-green werewolves, and there's kind of a mono-red aggro deck as well. It's it's basically red deck wins, and this is kind of like a new... Um, Robin Hood from Throne of Eldraine, mm-hmm. sorry, that card, Robber of the Rich, mm. where it also it doesn't have haste, but if it deals damage to a player, you get to exile a card from their library. Um, and then if you attacked with a wolf or werewolf, just like if you attacked with a rogue, you can cast that card and your mana is fixed. Right, so, and so Rahilda is a one and a red for a two-two with first strike and right. daybound, and then turns into... On the back, I think the same ability. Yeah, uh, it's still and, double strike? Right, now she has double strike, so she can get two cards out of their library. Right. And also, it's a card, I don't know if this matters, I'm not sure what in what scenarios it would, I guess, if they scryed, but instead of exiling the top card of their library, it exiles a non-land card from their library at random. So you're guaranteed to hit a spell with Rahilda, which is kind of cool. Right, of right. course. Okay. So, uh, uh, go ahead, yeah. Just uh, quickly, before we keep looking at other decks, I wanted to to talk about some of the dragons from from the deck that you were running yesterday because sure. they're I, I don't know about them because they're new no uh, problem we were yeah. looking at fearsome whelp briefly we had it up on screen right. but right. didn't actually say what it did and oh I i'm sorry read it. no no it's fine <laughs> no worries yeah i'm going too fast for the explanation so fearsome whelp is one of the more important alchemy cards that uh diverges the path of alchemy and standard decks it's one red and one generic uh, for a 1-1 one, one flying that says, at the beginning of your end step, each dragon card in your hand perpetually gains. This spell costs one less to cast. Ooh. Orb of Dragonkind from um, MTG, D&D, AFR, a, a Richard uh, Garfield production, right. um, <laughs> is a one in a red as well artifact that can tap for two mana of any combination of colors to only to cast dragons if you pay one. So it's like adds one more mana, but only to cast dragons. So it's like a signet. Okay. And then, and then Kalane also from AFR is one and a black for a one two that makes a treasure token. So these are the kind of like two drop ramp spells you can be playing if you're red and or black. Um, and then the dragons, we're we're playing Goldspan, we talked about it a little bit before. We're playing Moonvale Regent from Midnight Hunt. This is a three generic and a red four four flying. And right. whenever you cast a spell, you can discard your hand if you do draw hmm. a card for each of that spell's colors, and then also ping something when it dies. Um, this is a really popular card that's showed up in a lot of standard decks. Um, the new other dragon, um, which is making some waves in Historic as well, uh, is two generic red red, so four mana but a double red, for a 4-4 four, four flyer. It's called Town Razor Tyrant. And when it enters the battlefield, target land you don't control loses all abilities except mana abilities and gains... At the beginning of your upkeep, this permanent deals two damage to you unless you sacrifice it. Um, so I this, saw ca- this card's really this. exciting. It's like yeah. Stone Rain. Yeah, that's yeah. wild. I saw someone play this against yeah. Kenji this morning, and he sort of had to keep taking two, or else he would be falling too far behind. Yeah, if you get it on turn three, you know it's it's guaranteed quite a bit of damage unless they're willing to sacrifice a land, which is better usually uh, for you. So it's just it's all upside. It's a fantastic card. Um, 
the right. Deck. So if Sometimes you have that, ways to get haste too. Yeah. If you have that in your hand, you play the fearsome whelp, and then at the end of turn two, this turns into only costing one red red. That's right. And so this is your turn three play, and then one of their if you're on the play, then one of their three lands at that point. They have to either sack or just start sulfuric vortexing themselves. That's right. Yeah, the, the fearsome whelp sets up some pretty ludicrous play patterns too. Where if you have, like, say, you have a town raiser and a moonvale regent and a goldspan dragon all in your hand, you know, on turn three you can play the town raiser, but then at the end of turn three, now your goldspan is only going to cost three, and your moonvale is only going to cost two. So then you untap on turn four, you might have, you might have another land, but you don't even need it. If you just attack with the Goldspan Dragon and then sacrifice a treasure for two, you can cast a Moonveil Regent. So on turn four, you, you like not every time, but it's it's only <laughs> using one of each of these cards that you have four of in your deck. So it's not it's not an uncommon play pattern to just have twelve power of flyers on the table and wow. you've messed up one of their lands. And if your Moonveil Regent stays in play, you're gonna draw more cards. So it's it's a very powerful linear strategy. Alchemy's the Wild West. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this. Yeah. I mean, in spite of that, uh, you know, kind of bonkers play pattern, this does feel like magic. Oh yeah, yeah. it's magic for sure. The the perpetually ability on the fearsome whelp doesn't feel that much different than just you know an is it signet right? It's like the purpose of it in the deck mm-hmm. is to ramp you on turn two. Um, it's just variably powerful, right? Like you, mm. you'll sometimes have hands where you have a fearsome well, but you don't have a dragon to target and you kind of have to hope you're going to draw one. Otherwise you're not getting mana out of it. And you might have some, something else that you'd rather be putting mana into if you had a traditional mana source. So there, there's occasionally a downside, but you know, the way the deck's built, yeah, it can get some pretty crazy play patterns. Okay. So uh, you were talking about some of the other decks. We talked about Rahilda yeah. briefly. Well, I'd like to talk about Discover the Formula and Key to the Archive. I was going to so, ask you about those ones specifically, because those are the ones that I've seen. Yeah, so ne- next in uh, popularity, I think, or maybe tied, or maybe maybe it's even higher. I'm not entirely sure of the numbers, but um, similar in popularity. Discover the Formula is a f- six-mana instant, four blue-blue. For Seek, which means go find, at random, cards that fit the bill. Seek three non-land cards, then non-land cards in your hand, all of them, not just the three you got, perpetually gain. This spell costs one less to cast. So this can affect creatures. It can put creatures in your hand, or planeswalkers, other instant sorceries, you know. Um, and so it's an instant. It's so get- it, it, yeah, very powerful end-of-turn, like, opportunity plus... Um, Dark ritual. Yeah, this seems absolutely ludicrous because you get mm-hmm. you get three cards. You know they will be non-land cards, and then everything in your hand—not just the three you drew, but anything else that's in your hand—all now just forever costs one less to cast. Yeah. So the play pattern on this, honestly, it's pretty similar to EOT FOFYL. <laughs> like that's what it usually yeah. feels like. If you're up against this, and they can afford to go discover the formula at the end of your turn, they don't have to like kill one of your things that you just played on board. You know that. This card shows up mostly in blue, red, or blue, white, or Esper. Um, maybe there's Jeskai decks too, probably. So, you know, it's like they're playing one for one removal or a planeswalker that can trade and you have to attack, like like Teferi, or they're playing like some burn down the house. So they're trying to have an early game that ki- keeps them from dying to your creatures. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. uh, if they have a turn where they can cast Discover the Formula, it's like, you know, they'll go, they'll, they'll seek at random, like another card that draws them cards, a planeswalker that's cheaper now, and like, a, you know, another copy of Discover the Formula. And they just, it just creates so much value. Yeah. Um, I remember when opportunity was a fine thing to play at the end of turn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, 
you got to crank up the power level for the, the zoomers, right? <laughs> These arena zoomers, they need more stuff. <laughs> and then go ahead. Yeah. Key to the archive. Key uh, to the archive is a four mana artifact um, that taps for any two mana, two mana in any combination of color. So really powerful mana rock, but it, it enters tapped. Okay. So you can't use the mana right away, but it also has this ETB ability where you draft a card from its spell book and it's 15 of the um, Strixhaven mystical archive cards. So it includes like wrath of God approach okay. of the second sun, demonic tutor. Um, I think lightning bolt is on there. Definitely. It includes time warp. Uh, so really powerful spells. You get to draft one, but then you have to discard a card. So you have to have another card in your hand that you're willing to transform into. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't, you know, it goes to your graveyard, but you've got to, you've got to pay one of your cards in hand. Conceptually transforming into. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So, and then, but then you have a mana rock. So this is a great one to get hit by the discover the formula because it doesn't have any colored pips in it. So if it's in your hand and you're discovering that gets cheaper. Um, another one that's in a lot of the same decks that play both those two is Geist Channeler. So this is a one generic, one blue, uh, one three wizard that just says when it enters the battlefield, choose an instant sorcery in your hand with mana value three or greater. It perpetually gains. This costs two less to cast, so you can power out those, discover the formulas a bit faster, and maybe chump block with this guy. I'm detecting a pattern in the playable uh, <laughs> <laughs> arena cards, and they all seem to have this spell costs X less to cast. Right, yeah, the, yeah, those cards, those cards have all jumped right to the front of the popularity of the uh, of the alchemy cards for sure. Yeah. Uh, so the way that, um, just as a reminder, the way that the drafting works, because there's 15 cards in each of the spell books, mm-hmm. and you get presented with three of them at random, and then you t- take one of those. And just just to run down real quick, the the key to the archive, because uh, you you hit on a few of them, but I just want to get. Give the full the full panoply of options here. Uh, approach of the second sun, counterspell, lightning bolt, regrowth, growth spiral, day of judgment, demonic tutor, claim the firstborn, despark, lightning helix, time warp, doom blade, crossen grip, electrolyze, and putrefy. So it's a pretty so, good toolbox. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find something that is useful in that moment of the game. <laughs> Almost certainly. Yeah, very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Other other popular alchemy cards include Cursebound Witch and Sanguine Brushstroke. We've talked about these a bit before yep. on the podcast for use in Gladiator. But uh, real quick, Cursebound Witch again lets you draft a card. It's a one black mana, one two human warlock that says when this dies, draft a card from Cursebound Witch's spellbook. And it's like 15 cards that have the word witch on them. But it yeah. turns out those are mostly good in Aristocrats. It's like Witch's Cauldron, Vengeance, Oven Cottage, and Familiar, Curse of Leeches, Cauldron Familiar, Black Cat, Sorcerer's Broom, Bloodhunter Bat, Unwilling Ingredient, Expanded Anatomy, Cruel Reality, Torment of Scarabs, and Trespasser's Curse. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Sanguine Brushstroke is an enchantment for one generic Black Black that says, when enters the battlefield, create a blood token and conjure a card named Blood Artist onto the battlefield. And conjure is like creating a token, but it creates an actual card as far as arena is concerned. So this card goes to the graveyard. You can get it back. It could go back in your deck. You could put it back in your hand. It stays in your hand if someone hits it with um, divide by zero. You could just mm-hmm. cast your blood card, blood artist again. And it says whenever you so blood artist we all know says whenever a creature dies, your opponent loses one life, you gain one life. And second brushstroke makes one of those and a blood token and says. Whenever you sacrifice a blood token, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. 
And this card's fine on its own in any kind of Aristocrat style deck with creatures that want to die, but the one I'm seeing mostly pop up is also using some of the Crimson Vow cards that care about blood tokens as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but I definitely ran into the one generic, one black, two one flying vampire that uh, gives you a blood token and and like when something dies oh yes well yeah like the uh the kind of nature of the red black vampire deck is that you just send small dudes windmilling into your opponent right, right. so blood artists fit well into that yeah and some of them come with uh come with blood tokens like the Voldaren epicure one red for a one one that deals the damage to your opponent when it's the battlefield and makes a blood token did so you uh Cameron, you see a lot of play you, patterns like that did you pop one of these into your gladiator deck i did yeah Cool. Good. Yeah. <laughs> seems, no, it's, it seems it was, like it was, it, uh, it was a windmill slam edition. Yeah. But yeah, the um, getting blood artists off uh, off blood tokens, very strong. Very mm-hmm. strong. Um, another important gladiator card is the Inquisitor Captain. This is a four mana three three that has this sort of complicated go get more friends ability. Mm-hmm. Um, three generic and a white for a three three vigilance that says when this enters the battlefield, if there are twenty or more creature cards with mana value three or less from among cards in your graveyard hand or library. Okay, so that's if you built your deck with <laughs> enough cheap creatures, right? Uh, you get to seek two of those cheap creatures, two creatures with mana value three or less. One goes onto the battlefield and shuffle the other into your library. Um, so. You can play Glass Pool Mimic next to this. Glass Pool Mimic from uh, from Zendikar. Uh, sorry, Zendikar Rising. Whatever, whatever version of Zendikar is legal in uh, yeah, right, standard yes, right now. Yes. Yeah, um, this is a creature card with uh, three mana value or less. So then you can go if you luck into hitting one of these off of the Coast Captain, you get the trigger again. Um, oh. So you end up like making more of these. They can kind of. It's sort of. It's a little bit reminiscent of like sun titan phantasmal image mm-hmm. you know you can theoretically on turn four or however soon you cast your inquisitor captain just like fill your board up with three threes uh, i was um, briefly confused okay. by the templating on the the i forgot the name of it already but the card you were just talking about inquisitor captain. Uh, yeah. yeah thank you inquisitor captain uh it's confusing a bit but i realize now well because it's like you get two of them and it's like but then you put one on the back because it's because it's giving you options so it's like Look, here's two cards that fit the bill. Which one do you want to put into play? So you pick one, and the other one's like, great, I'll go back in the deck. Right. Yeah, yeah so you have some control. You know, it like, gives you a slightly better chance than if it was just getting one at random. Yeah. Um, does Seeking... Because Seeking doesn't actually shuffle, does it? Uh, no. I don't think so. Well, I mean, unless all of the seek cards also say to shuffle on... I don't think they anyways. do. I don't think that the it's Seek right. ability itself inherently... Yeah, shuffles. I mean, it wouldn't have to because you don't pick up your deck, right? So you might yeah. mm-hmm. there may be some cards in this set where you seek and then you still know what you scribe to the bottom. It does not shuffle. Okay. All right. Neat. Confirmation this, from Paul. Thank you. This Paul. one does, though, right? Because Well, this one, because you shuffle bottom. it yeah. back in. Because otherwise you'd be putting it directly on the top or the bottom so you'd know where it was. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Another one that the white decks play is Sigardian Evangel. So one, one white and one generic for a 3-1, a little blade here. Um, when it enters the battlefield, conjure a card named Sigardian Evangel into your hand, but discard that card at the beginning of the next end step. And when it enters the battlefield, tap target permanent you don't control. So this is a cool kind of flexible design where on turn two, it's a 3-1 that gets to tap something on ETB. But on turn you know six, it's three 3-1s. Three 
because you know as ma- as much as many chunks of two mana as you have, it's kind of like multi kicker. You know, right, you, get, you right. get more three ones that can tap your opponent's stuff. And if you and, can't cast it, you just throw it away. But yeah, yeah, interesting. You, you, yeah, you can get to cast as many of them as you can afford. So it it plays both early game and late game. Huh? Yeah. What a neat idea. Yeah, I think that covers all of kind of the most pop. Well, so. Alchemy didn't give much to green, but mono green, in fact, they nerfed Eska's Chariot even. Right. But mono green, still a powerful deck in the airship. Oh, sorry, there's one card. Um, there's the Grizzled Huntmaster, which you, you were mentioning being confused about uh, the Inquisitor Captain's ability. This card certainly famously was fooling people on Twitter for, for right. days, and we talked about that already, but it has found a home uh, in the mono green aggro decks. So a three mana, four, three, one green, green for a 4-3 human warrior that says, when this ETBs, you may exile a creature card from your hand. If you do, search your hand library for any number of cards with the same name and exile them, then shuffle. Then choose a creature card you own from outside the game, so that's your sideboard, and conjure a duplicate of that card in your hand for each card exiled from your hand. So it gives you this flexibility to change, kind of like the learn board. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, just to like burn something out of your deck entirely. yeah, if you have a creature that's, you know, protection from a color your opponent isn't playing, or you have mm-hmm. a creature that's, like, six mana in your hand and your opponent's playing mono-red, like, and, you you know, you don't think the game's going to go that long, especially if that thing's stuck in your hand. And so you in exchange... Change it into something else, yeah. And so in exchange for this silver bullet, you are giving up not only... You're exchanging the card in your hand with the card from outside the game, but you're also exiling all other copies of that card in, that was in your hand from your library. Well, that's up to you. If you mm-hmm. want to say, I'm going to make my deck smaller. Oh, and, any number. I see. Okay. Yeah. It's up to you. If you want to keep further potential draws and you're worried about like your thinning or whatever, the ratio of lands and non-land cards in your deck, you don't have to exile. Them. Right. And you only, but you only get a conjured copy for each one you exiled from your hand. Hmm. But it gives you that flexibility. Like, say you know, like, oh, I don't want to draw that card this game. I'd actually rather draw a land than mm-hmm. whatever problem card you have in your hand. You okay. can just exile it from your library. You don't get more stuff in, in its place, but you can exile it. Finally, it's time to main deck core Firewalker again. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nelson, you were saying that you were playing best of one mm-hmm. on the day one because you could do best of one or best of three. Uh, day two is only best of three. So... What sort of considerations are you making there? Well, you should definitely play with a sideboard uh, if you're going to play best of three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you should probably also not play a deck that any particular deck or their sideboard has a better plan against than your your plan A. Does that make sense? Like, you want to make sure that you don't have a deck that's beaten by silver bullets. Yes. Yeah. So no dredge. Yeah, like Dredge gets a bit worse. There is plenty of graveyard removal. I'm not sure if Dredge is viable in standard. Um, there, I saw <laughs> <So> someone. <laughs> it's just like the the archetypal um, powerful deck that loses games two and three. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like that. Burn gets a bit worse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mill maybe is a bit worse. Any any sort of gotcha deck now. Boros Dragons isn't really a gotcha strategy. Like we're just casting dragons and attacking with them. It's it's a time honored strategy, um, but. Yeah, you want to at least take your best of one deck and make a sideboard, right? So, so what else are uh, like? What are what are you doing? Like, what are you personally taking into consideration here? Because you're you- right. 
Yeah, like the process the is dragons. happening right now. Yeah, so you I'm just still like, want to do dragons. Yeah, so my Boros Dragons deck um, included two copies of Kaya's Onslaught and three copies of Angel Fire Ignition. And after playing day one, I just wish those were kill spells instead. Hmm. And I also I really like the look of the Rakdos Dragons because um, the, the way I played this deck, and it might, might not be the way that everybody plays it, but I almost always mulliganed until I have either a Fearsome Whelp or an Orb of Dragonkind. I didn't mm-hmm. want to play like we're playing normal magic for three turns, and then on turn four I'm going to play a Town Raiser Tyrant. That wasn't for me. Um, right you you want that you want that Town Raiser on turn three. Yeah, I mm-hmm. maybe I maybe kept some hands by getting to five that didn't have the two drop, but I would I would be willing to throw my six away trying to find the Fearsome Wall basically. Mm-hmm. So I'm considering like you know that this goes for best of one or best of three, but I'm considering switching to the black version so that you can play like ten two drops instead of seven or eight. Um, just to keep more cards in hand. And then I'm trying to decide whether still having white, like being a three color deck uh, for the adult gold dragon or being also blue to try out those bounce spells is worth. Um, so I've just been thinking about that and playing some, playing some games on the ladder of alchemy. Um, and then the other consideration is what do you want in the sideboard? You know, the black decks get, can give you hand attack, but the white decks, you know, have sort of, different removal options. It's more flexible. Like Valorous Stance is a pretty good card in the deck mm-hmm. as it serves as a counter spell to win the game because people are going to kill your dragons with spells. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a consideration. Um, yeah. And then it's just sort of like what else I think was most popular on day one and what I expect to see game day two and what I think has a better matchup. All right. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm tinkering about that or I'm thinking about it and I have a small amount of time left. Right. <laughs> I, right. I, yeah. Before we move on, I do want to mention that this arena open, I think it's the first one, costs about 25% more. Yeah. And the prizes start later and go a bit higher. So they, like to get in, you had to pay, it used to be 4,000 gems or 20,000 coins. This time it was 5,000 gems or 25,000 coins. Yeah. If you make day two, you do get 5,000 gems back. Whereas in previous, I think you had to maybe get one or two wins on day two to get all of your entry fee back. Yeah, that's correct. And now the prize is the same for zero, one or two wins. So that plateau at least is nice. If you make day two and win one, two or zero, you get the same prize of your entry fee back. And then three is 7,500, four is 10,000, five is 25,000. I'm not actually sure what how that ranks up against previous um, arena opens. Six wins is $1,000 cash. Seven wins $2,000 cash. Those are the same. And now there's an eight wins threshold for an extra $500 US. So if you get to eight wins, which is longer than the track usually goes, uh, you get $2,500. It's also, because day two is best of three, mm-hmm. like eight games or eight best matches. of three matches, that's that's going to take you a lot of the rest of your day when we're done recording here, Nelly. Only if I win. You know, it's, yeah, it's like, what is it? 10 matches total, like, uh, possible. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. All right. Yeah, and then seven and eight wins also both get invited to the next qualifier weekend. Oh, thank you. I forgot about that. Yeah. Also probably something I don't need to worry about, but fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, how are the mana bases in alchemy? You all You, you mentioned these strategies all being two color. Is the mana base just not there for three color? I, I lost to an Esper deck yesterday, and okay. I'm pl- I'm playing a mana fixing land that I didn't mention. Sorry, but it is actually really good, um, and it's in lots of decks. I probably should have mentioned it because I'm not sure if we talked about it a ton 
when the set was first announced, but it's called, I believe it's an alchemy card, Forsaken, sorry, I'm just not seeing it here in my spot. Oh, there we go. Forsaken Crossroads. So this is a pretty cool land. I think it's the only land from alchemy. Um, and it comes into play tapped, and you choose a color when it enters the battlefield, and it taps for one of that color. But um, when it enters the battlefield, you get to scry one as well. So it's like a five-color, you know, you pick hmm. temple from Theros. Or if you weren't the starting player, you can untap it instead. So on the draw, it's like an untapped rainbow land with no drawback, which is pretty wild um, and and great. And like the kind of card that I really like seeing, I like that design space. I really like um, Gemstone Caverns from Time Spiral. Hmm. Um, and this is a little bit, it's sort of cousins, right? Um, so having having the ability to kind of catch up on mana against your opponent is great uh, if you're if you're on the draw. But even just like an interplay tap, you pick the color Scry Land is also pretty solid. So this this card's been showing up quite a bit. Um, that's all the mana fixing you get on top of standard. Okay. I believe unless one of these other cards makes a treasure or something, but that's certainly the most popular one that showed up. And then otherwise, yeah, it looks pretty much the same as standard lands. You've got your, uh, pathways and then you've got your, uh, what are they called from midnight and, and crimson vow? The lands that come into play untapped on turn three. Uh, 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 the, I refuse tango land. I yeah, no, Tango Land's an, an older one. Yeah. Anyways, uh, anyways, <laughs> these new slow lands or whatever they're called. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. the the cycle from uh, Innistrad. Those are good, and then the the pathways from the Kaldheim and mm-hmm. and Zendikar sets are are in play. Um, people play Snarls a little bit, but again, like the Snarls, although it's an extra dual land, it's not really that good in three color decks because you need mm-hmm. to have like a glut of basic lands in order for them to work yes yeah. so like my boros deck was playing one or two fury calm snarls but mm-hmm. i don't know if you'd want to play any snarls at all in jeskai even though it's you know it's like you can just play more tap lands uh, if you want to play the snow tap lands too so like there are a lot of lands but in terms of like the mana base being powerful it does mostly um mm-hmm. revolve around one and two color decks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so far anyway that esper deck is good though all right okay. yeah Sweet. Well, good job making day two, and good luck on day two. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, moving on to something uh, hopefully cheaper than entering the arena open. It's Popper. <laughs> um, Gavin Verhey announced the creation earlier this week of the Popper format panel, uh, which is basically an internal... Well, not even internal. It's basically it's a team that's going to have the bandwidth to pay attention to popper essentially um i i I saw some comments that were like decrying or lamenting you know wizards uh exerting their will over another format and it's like wizards has been in charge of what gets banned in popper for years (laughs) the difference now is that they're saying they're going to take it seriously and actually pay attention. Cause basically what Gavin said in his article is like wizards has been slow to react to changes in popper. And it's been slow to deal with issues that have come up in the format. Um, because there just isn't enough internal bandwidth to like to do it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, but they've, it, it's not like Commander. They've always, Wizards has always been involved in Popper. I don't know about always, but like certainly for years, like it's part of the bans and restricted announcements whenever they 
come from wizards. So, but now uh, there's a panel of um, Gavin and six um, people from the community, mm-hmm. like popper um, ambassadors and content creators, essentially, who will now be looking at the format, looking at things that may or may not need to be addressed in the format, and then taking that to wizards directly uh and going this is what the change that we think you need to make and gavin predicts that most of the time that the wizards will probably just just take that and go great we'll enact that they said uh he says um if the commander rules committee is a 10 on the scale of final decision making and that they are the arbiters of all decisions i would say the popper format panel will be about an eight uh he says, what the, what the PFP will be doing is working together to come up with our recommendations for any banned cards. Then I, as the Wizards member, will take this to our internal teams at Wizards for further discussion. Most of the time, I predict the PFP decisions will be taken wholesale and put into action. Occasionally, there may be additional questions asked by our play design group that we should dig into, but often the play design team will trust the experience of the PFP. So, this to me, this seems like just pure upside for people who are fans of Popper. Um. Basically I would the, agree with that. Yeah, they now have real advocates with a direct line to to uh, wizard, so that it's not just sort of, you know, rattling at the at the gates and then hoping that wizards pays attention and then eventually gets around to dealing with I don't know Peregrine Drake or whatever the heck the most recent problem in the format is. Right now, it's kind of just a tog like um, affinities, <laughs> like as good probably as it it feels like from watching a little bit of popper gameplay the other night. Um, Jeremy White and some of our other friends uh, have dug into the format a bunch, and it seems like uh, affinity is at the levels of play and winning rate that it was like when it first came out. But that, that's my impression anyway. I don't know if that's exactly right, but yeah, overall this popper panel I think is great news for popper players. Uh, if you are an franchise popper player, you probably already have your own opinions about the people on the panel and whether or not you agree with them about the you know the way the format should go or what their favorite things are in the format but just the creation of the panel right there yeah yeah you, you probably if you're a fan of popper you probably know all these people anyway <laughs> so so uh yeah that sounds sounds pretty great and yeah like i said and you can you can read the article announcing the popper format panel but you know gavin talks uh in particular about fall from favor and chatterstorm um which were two cards that ended up being a big uh problem in the format chatterstorm is from modern horizons 2 i believe and is one in a green sorcery create a 1-1 squirrel and it has storm uh and then fall from favor is from i guess the second conspiracy because it's two and a blue creature enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, tap the enchanted creature and you become the monarch. And it's the enchanted... Commander Legends. Oh, okay. Right? And mm. the enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step unless its player is the monarch. That makes more sense for it to have only been around for the past year or so. Uh, and, uh, you know, those did eventually get banned. And he says, why did it take so long? And it's like, oops, because p- p- people in the play design team don't really play popper. <laughs> it's like they, they focus on standard. They focus on modern. Uh, it's not <laughs> popper. This is a quote. Popper is not an area of strong expertise for most people at wizards. Yeah. Like people don't necessarily know this, like the, you know, wizards and the big TOs run popper tournaments, legacy tournaments, vintage tournaments, um, commander meetups and stuff. They'll even run Canadian Highlander tournaments if there's enough people and whatever your other format is, tiny leaders or Oathbreaker, all these formats. But 
magic cards are only really printed, at least like from a while back. Like the idea of them being printed was just for standard and draft. And more recently, like obviously they're printed for commander. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and, uh, a little bit less recently, I think they really take modern into consideration. So modern and commander have kind of reached their claws right into R and D and like people at working at wizards are making cards for these formats. Um, and we see that with the sets that came out. And also we see a bit with the, the standard releases, the designs that like seem to be clearly taking these other formats into account, but like popper hasn't made it to that threshold. Right. And like, initially this was a, a format that just came out with like, okay, well we can invent this format. It was a community invented format. I'm not sure who the first person was. was probably lots of people around the world had a gnosis of like, what if only commons were allowed? Yeah. You know, it's a pretty automatic one, right? Like we couldn't <laughs> play with this restriction. Um, so, then when something comes out, it's like more common, I think, that there's a hugely problematic card because the cards aren't designed with this format in mind. And that's also true like of Vintage and Legacy, I think, right? Like, I don't think that any of the cards from 2021, like when they're, the standard sets were released, if there was a meeting that goes like, okay, we've got like a file now and we're like three quarters of the way ready to hand this over to development or hand it or get it printed or whatever, quick. Is there anything in here that could possibly be broken in Legacy? It's like, I don't think Watsi has that kind of time, right? Like, Legacy and Vintage have all the cards. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. what's the potential interaction in Legacy? It's like, no, we don't, we don't care. We'll just ban it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that seems uh, that seems like it'll be, as I said, overall a, a good thing for um, for Popper. And uh, I, I, I hope that Hope the popper people are happy. I don't know. I guess maybe as as someone who doesn't play, maybe I'm completely out of line saying this seems like a good thing for the format. But uh, on the basis of no experience with the format, I, I have to assume having advocates in the building has got to be got to yeah. be a good thing to you know get your get your broken stuff banned uh, in a in a reasonable amount of time. Sorry, Cam. Oh no, I'm I'm just looking forward to popper legends now. <laughs> That is actually a great idea. Yeah, like, Popper Masters. I, I would play that format. Finally, we get packs with 15 cards all the same rarity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds amazing. Just take those rare. packs are going to cost 30 bucks, by the way. <laughs> Mark my words. If they do Popper Legends, it's all commons. The packs are going to be the most dude, expensive regular draft pack. Dude, it's just going to be wall-to-wall. It, it's not going to have uh, rarities. It's going to have a foil in each pack. Right, there'll be fifteen different alternate art frame yeah. slash like like it like it'll be like mystery booster, but just one set where it's like each slot in the pack is like a different set of like weird, super rare alters. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, alternate frames, alternate uh, like you know you get ponder with um well no not ponder, God, Cameron, <laughs> pay attention, but um <laughs> yeah, old old borders, new borders. Hire um, me. If any, yeah, if anyone uh, plays Popper is nervous about this, I will tell you from my personal experience, um, I ran a format with like total control. Like I was the tyrant of it. And what I did, every every set that would come out, I would go through the list and just out YJ have a town hall discussion and everyone could like tell me or vote on every card, uh, what, whether they thought they wanted to be more or less points in Canadian Highlander. And then once we formed the Highlander Council, instead of having all that responsibility, I loved it but also i think the players and i think the format both grew quite a bit at that point so it was a really good thing for canadian highlander mm. when we first had the council instituted um so popper players i think you're in for a treat sweet to the future 
10,000 years in the future. I think it's 10,000 years. However long it is, uh, Kamigawa, we still don't have any cards, but we learned a little bit more about it from the world building panel. That was, a, I think, about a 30-minute video that I admittedly have not yet had an opportunity to watch, but very much intend to. All the feedback I've heard about it is very good, where the a bunch of the team involved in working on the set um, talked about a bunch of stuff and what went into the world building and the and the creation of the set. And they didn't show off any cards, but they did show off some art, which is which is cool. We have we have some of that here. Um, uh, for those of you who are uh, watching the video, if you're only listening, um, <laughs> sorry, not really any way around it in this particular instance. Um, so sagas are back, and uh, we know that because of some of the very tall, narrow art. <laughs> Uh, so, and because they said sagas are back, I think, I think anyway. Um, so here's one for, uh, Asusa's many journeys, uh, which is, it looks like it's in a, uh, looks like it's in a museum. I don't know. It's, it's like Asusa's robe essentially. Yeah. Like this gorgeous brocade, um, robe. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it's on a plinthed museum and there's like, um, the what's the oh, I can't remember the name of it the pagoda building with the waterfall it was a card it was a land from the original set oh Ikanjo? temple to the grandfathers was it a Kanjo castle it was oh, a Kanjo the... castle is a place um do you mean like the water veil yeah the blue the blue legendary land um, sorry, you said Iganjo, and now my mind is drawn a blank. But it's a rare land from Kamigawa. Yes. Uh, it taps for blue. Uh, Minamo. 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 Right, yes. The, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. School yeah. at Water's Edge. School there at Water's it is. Edge. We got Not there. the Water Veil. That's Magosi from Zendikar. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. we were close. I got confused School there. School at Water's Edge. Yeah. Uh, Wheeler's so frustrated. Right now, can't can't believe it took me that long. So yeah, Manamo on the robe there—that's pretty cool. So interesting about you know, it's like let's learn about all the things Asusa did. That's neat. Um, there's one called Michiko's Reign of Truth, which has uh, it's a it's a it's a very cool design. It looks like some sort of it's a well, I mean it's 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 a fan. It's like uh, painted on a on a fan being held. Oh yeah, uh, I'm not sure. Do we know who Michiko is? Yep, Michiko is a legendary character from the first Kamigawa as well. Michiko Kanda. So I believe she is. Oh yes, of like course. Truth Emperor's, Yeah, mm. I think some relative. I'm not sure how they're related exactly, but must be related to Kanda. Yep. Yep. That's great. I love that. That this is all sort of you know it's the 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 modern the future Kamigawa is. Uh, up on their history of of former Kamigawa. I like that. Uh, and then there's one that I don't think we necessarily know the name of it because the name that's listed on the subreddit is in quotes, uh, but the, the Kami War is another one of the sagas that's been, that's been shown off. It's, it's dragons and uh, hmm. uh, snakes. <laughs> Just compressing the entire previous Kamigawa block into one card. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I can't be certain, but I suspect that the Kami War references the events of the first Kamigawa sets. Mm -hmm. uh, the Kami War. 
which you can see here. Uh, very cool <laughs> dragon and snakes. And uh, I guess, was the Kami War what was happening in the first Kamigawa block? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I, I would a take a wild guess that that's what, what it is. All right, cool. Uh, and then we have some non-saga images that we can take a look at. There's one um, that's just called, that's just a picture of Samsoratami, which is just three um, three figures. So this is... Uh, three moon people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Soratami were... I'm trying to remember now. I think it would, yeah, they were, yeah, they were just, it was another name for the moon folk. So this is just, it's some Soratami. Aren't they, aren't they fun? We've got a very good dog, which is not, um, Mowu. This is just a normal sheep, but has some sort of spirit, some spirit did not work. It seems <laughs> got to have a very good dog. Yeah, that looks like a really fun toy for the dog park, right? Just like three pieces of rope that you can bite that always float around and stay near each other. And just run away from the dog, and the dog can just chase yeah. them forever. It's perfect. And, and they're imbued with your grandfather's soul. Like, it's you know, it's comforting, it's familiar, your dog can chew it. There's an image of Maloku, who's looking looking different and is still around, I guess. I, I don't know if it's possible for me to be more scared of Maloku, but there it is. I'm getting big telling time vibes from this art. I mean, mm. same artist, clearly. Right? Uh, what was the artist's name? Um, Scott M. Fisher. Hmm. And this one, yeah. the artist's credit seems to be Microsoft Windows. <laughs> Scott's really come a long way. It does look like telling time, career. right? Yeah. It looks exactly like telling time. Interesting. Ah, I wonder if that is the same one. Uh, and then there was one more piece of art that we saw that uh, I think I think f- fairly people have said looks kind of like a League of Legends skin. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. Like I, I don't think. Are that's we doing Infinity un- spoilers today? <laughs> Like it does, it does look, I mean, the thing is, we know that this thing has like mechs. Like you, what I do like about this is that you can see the, the DJ's arm, like their human arm inside these large mm-hmm. bionic extension DJing arms, which you, you would assume would like, you could see in the, in the closer arm, they're like lashed together with like rope. Like you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd think that, that it would uh, maybe degrade you, the granularity of, of your tactile feedback. But uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not a Kamigawan DJ, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, that, that art in particular, I think has, has, has received some criticism, which, which again, I don't necessarily think is unfair, but overall, all the stuff that I've seen out of this, uh, is like, yeah, it's the future, but I don't know. It doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like hard sci-fi or anything to me. Like it still feels like they're very much, which must have been a hard line to walk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it still is like, yeah, I, this all still feels like magic to me. This is still it's still like it's it's fantasy cyberpunk. Like it's this is this is working for me. What little we know about the set so far. So yeah, like. Uh... 
I, I think you nailed it as fantasy cyberpunk. It's kind of, or at least the aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how punky it is. Yeah. When it, when the rubber meets the road, but, uh, I kind of enjoy that. I enjoy mm-hmm. that the, um, that it feels like uh, often magic and technology get presented as, you know, these opposites when that there's nothing anywhere saying that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want to offer my complaint of the art. So the only complaint sure. I have is that we had the opportunity to get the like uh, extended fingers into the keyboard shot from Ghost in the Shell right. on, onto the DJ booth, and instead it's still just five points of contact on the on the record. So it's like you yeah, didn't, you yeah, didn't yeah. improve your control over spinning and scratching. However, <laughs> I will I will also offer a rebuttal in defense of the art in that uh, you know maybe that record is superheated. And we really just needed a glove, and this is uh, this is what that does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realized that they did actually give us an actual card on. I think it was on Christmas, or it was around Christmas. They often give us one card on Christmas, like yeah. Cosmic came out on Christmas Day, I think. So Satoru Umezawa, and there's a couple of reasons I want to talk about this. So first of all, this is very cool. Satoru Umezawa, one blue black for a two four human ninja legendary. Whenever you activate a ninjutsu ability. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest on top on the sorry on the bottom of your library in any order. This ability triggers only once each turn. And each creature in your hand has ninjutsu two blue black. Sweet. So ninjutsu's back. This card can give all your creatures ninjutsu, which as a reminder is if you attack with a creature and it is not blocked, and you have a card in your hand with ninjutsu, you can pay that cost and exchange places of the creatures, exchanging it then presumably with uh, with a with a creature that has some sort of ability that triggers when it hits your opponent, right? So it's like, I attack with this 1-1 flyer. Oh, you can't block it? Cool, that 1-1 flyer is now this ninja that when I hit you, I get to do stuff, right? Like Zarathsan or whatever. <laughs> and so Satoru Umezawa says whenever you do that, you also get to look at uh, look at the top three cards of your library and draw a card. And also that everything has ninjutsu. So that's all very exciting. Finally, my whoops all Ophidian's strategy will, will finally work. Yeah. We'll finally draw a card. Uh, and then there's two other variants of this card uh, in terms of art. So there's the showcase frame, uh, which is with art from Rata Kazama, who is, uh, uh, not this one. I'm building to that. <laughs> there we go. Uh, which, who is a Japanese artist. I think we've, I think we've seen work from them before. Sorry, Rita Kazama. Oh, they did a, um, they did a, one of the, um, anime planeswalkers of Domri. Oh, okay. Um, but I think this is, this is very cool. I like the showcase frame, the, uh, the legendary still keeping like sort of the spiky top from the legendary frame. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Uh, but then also, as you saw briefly already, there is a borderless Satoru Umezawa and this one, uh, this is in the same realm as getting like, for me anyway, as getting Amano to draw Liliana or getting, um, doing the like Castlevania style Alucard. So this is by Yoji Shinkawa who is the character artist and concept artist and mech artist for the Metal Gear Solid series. Uh, which is cool. <laughs> so why, dope. Yeah, which is why Satoru looks like looks like Gray Fox the Cyborg Ninja. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is 
fresh as heck. This is the buy a box promo. Um, which guess is I'm you buying know, a box. I guess no, it's so cool. I Sorry, I'm so. just like Yuri Shinkawa, what the heck? <laughs> I uh, think they've been doing a tremendous job with these um with these <laughs> laser targeted <laughs> nerd artists. <laughs> just being like, Hey, uh Graham, is this something you specifically would be into? Yes, wizards it is. Great, we'll do that. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, very excited about uh, the uh, Yoji Shinkawa Satoru Umezawa art. I don't so, even play ninjas, but I guess I'll start now. I mean, bad news, the uh, Umezawa family is still wrecking havoc on Kamigawa, clearly mm. dominating it. And, uh, you know, good news, though, we figured out what Emrakul has been doing in the moon this whole time. She was learning the blade. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Studying the blade. So that's all we know about Kamigawa Neon Dynasty at time of recording. But I imagine, because it's what? This is going up tomorrow, which is the 17th. And I think previews start a week from 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 that? Like the 27th? Like the previews that starts right. around hmm. the end of the month, closer to the end of the month. Yeah. Um, and then, hey, on February 5th, we talked about this briefly on the uh, paper fight. But uh, we have a pre pre release. We're, we'll be uh, we'll be more form more formally announcing um, our collaborations with Wizards in 2022 in a video on this channel forthcoming. But in the meantime, you should know February 5th, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty pre pre release. It's going to be an exciting time because mm -hmm. the PPR is always a fun time, and we're very excited about Kamigawa. If you're very excited about Kamigawa. I recommend heading on over to cardkingdom.com forward slash LRR and letting them know just how much Kamigawa you want to pre-order. You're going to get to have that awesome Satoru Omizawa if you get a whole box. Uh, but let them know we sent you and ask for a button. Currently, uh, if you get a button, it'll say you're brainstorming wrong because everyone who's ever brainstormed always did. <laughs> yep. And yeah, they're the Card Kingdom Kamigawa pre-sale, I believe, starts as of today at time of airing. So, yeah, get on that. Uh, and you can also get on supporting us directly at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. We really appreciate it. But, yeah, that'll do it for Tap, Tap, Concede for this week. Uh, until next time, uh, I have been Graham, joined by Cameron. Hello. And Nelson. I was also here. And Paul's been running tech for us today, as you uh, probably heard. Heather gets the podcasts online, and all of you are listening to it. So everyone's participating. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> Great job. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.